0: I'm Zorina Dimitrova, a strategic partner and mentor to businesses in the process of transformation. Join me on Grow and Learn as we explore a range of topics from personal development and career advancement to relationship building and financial management with practical advice, inspiring stories, and expert interviews. We'll give you the tools you need to thrive in every aspect of your life. Join us as we share insights and strategies that can help you achieve your personal and professional growth objectives how to ask about what you want, Whether you know how to ask and what's behind asking. My guest today is Kenneth Berger, an executive leadership coach, an executive and leadership coach for the past seven years. And he's been in the tech startup world for 20 years. He's found his own company. He used to be a tech executive in Slack, in um, Adobe. I think he's going to tell us more, maybe. I'm welcoming Kenneth. Hi, Kenneth.
1: Hi, thank you for having me
0: great pleasure to have you (laughs) um let's start with the with the most fresh of the oven you're writing a book ken well what is the book about and what drove you to write this book and then i'm gonna ask you about you (laughs) i want to know what's new
1: (laughs) yeah yeah of course um so, you know, this, this book's really been inspired by, you know, the, the, the struggles of my clients and, you know, of course the challenges I have faced in my, my own life, because I think that asking for what you want is this thing that we think we all already know how to do, right? Of course we ask for what we want, right? Like we order our coffee, you know, we, we, we ask our employees or our, our peers to do things at work. And yet, you know, what I found is that, um, we're not as good as we think and asking for what you want is one of these core skills right that if you're not practicing it over and over and over again right it's really hard to accomplish big things um and
0: that's like um an expanded version of delegation asking for what you want it it kind of ripples over your family or is it just work related
1: no it's it's a great question right i think delegation is a great example but it's absolutely bigger than that right and i think some of the challenges that people come up with in delegation, right. Where they say, Oh, you know, do I trust this person to do this thing or wouldn't it be faster for me to do it myself? Are tend to be sort of, those are almost like exemplars of like the bigger reasons that people resist actually asking in a very direct way. Yeah. Like I'd like you to do this for me or
0: whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so before, before asking you (laughs) to tell me how to ask, uh what's behind that? Have you have you dug into the psychological reasons or any other reasons that may be causing people to not to ask?
1: Yeah, no, and I think that's it's a it's a knowing question, right? Because the actual mechanics, of course, are not that complicated. And what I find working with clients is that the real challenge is is working through our own internal resistance, right? The parts of us that don't want to ask for what we want. Right, and so I, I I think of these archetypes of the people pleaser and the control freak. Right, it's like we know these archetypes, we are them, we 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 know these people in our lives, and I think what I find is the folks who you know, sort of align more with the people pleaser strategy, um, they're 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 scared to to really share what they want in a strong, direct, open way, right? Because their way of feeling safe in the world is making sure that people like them, and so they don't really want to rock the boat right mm-hmm. and then on the flip side for the control freak their strategy for feeling feeling safe in the world is yeah i i'm in control of my environment i generally you know sort of can control to to get what i want and sort of the 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 strategy they often use to um you know move towards that is kind of being very very forceful with all right you know do you do this i want this you know let's make this happen which i think you you could think is effective asking and i think it's Part of effective asking is saying it out loud, but a really important additional part is listening to the response. And I think often what those folks are getting is they're getting variations of no, and they kind of just don't hear it, right? When people say, "Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not sure about that, like, "Uh, or I'll try, right? These are not yeses. These are noes. These are the ways people, you know, end up saying no in practice. And so what I work on with, with sort of more control freak types is really listening to the response because you're not going to learn how to actually get what you want unless you're iterating and listening to what the response you get back is.
0: When, you, when you're when you talking about these archetypes, I'm also aware of them, but, but they have a bit of a, uh, you know, they describe the same thing, but they have a different name. And so in order to work towards the empowered archetype, what kind of tools do you normally use? Are, are they specific tools that you apply for or do you tailor each coaching case?
1: Yeah, so I part part of what I love about one-on-one coaching is it is it is very individual, right? That I think we all are, are we all are a little different and sort of are in different places in our careers and our goals and the sort of you know sort of frameworks and ideas we resonate with. So it's definitely not one size fits all. But then at the same time like we are all the same in certain ways like like just as you say both the people pleaser and the control freak like they're just trying to feel okay day to day right and making everyone happy or controlling and sort of getting you know exactly what you want are both just common strategies that people adopt to feel okay um and so i think part of you know of course there, there's lots of pieces to it but i think to me the most important piece to unwinding some of these strategies that you know work in the short term, but don't work in the long term uh, to get what you want or to sort of, you know, find peace and calm um, is just paying attention, right? Of just being mindful of these strategies so that instead of saying, oh, like I shouldn't do this or I have to do this to say, oh, you know, I'm doing that people pleasing thing again. And I know that's my that's my impulse. That's my natural place to go. But I'm practicing trying something else and seeing what results that gives me.
0: Mm hmm. And and uh, do you normally find it enough for people to get the insight, to get the knowing of, and the awareness of what they're doing, or they or do they usually need to do some deeper psychological work to overcome these barriers? Well,
1: I, I think that the you know in, in a way just noticing what you're doing is kind of deep psychological work because to to give an example, right? Mm-hmm. I think sometimes. You know I, I might say, hey you know it, it seems like in this situation you're worried about uh, about pleasing people or about you know making sure that that everyone's happy and people would say, oh no I'm not you know I'm not scared about that right I'm just being strategic right that I need to build relationships and and you know and making sure that all my stakeholders are pleased is actually just you know practical way I, I run about my business. And so there's lots of ways we can build up explanations for why these strategies, are really effective and that's what's tricky is it's not that they don't work it's that they work in the short term or they work at a cost right because sure you can get things done being a people pleaser but you don't get to really express the core of who you are and what you want because you always have to hide a little bit right and say oh i'm going to present the version of myself that's acceptable or you know not too controversial or 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 whatever it is and i think that starts to eat away at you at time right and people don't even always realize how much they're, they're, they're playing an act. Right. And, and the feeling of getting to be their real selves, you know, at work or at home or both can be really, really transformational.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, um, from, from my observation and also the, the line of work that I'm doing, um, which is partially related to reprogramming past, uh, experiences. And then that's why I asked you, is it, is the insight enough or do they need to go, uh, to do deep psychological work. And I do agree that insight alone and being aware, staying aware is deep psychological work. What I meant is actually, do they, um, need to maybe, uh, go through some, th- some sort of deep therapy, like regression and access their subconscious mind and stuff like that. But you answered the question, So
1: <laughs> Oh, I, I mean, certainly sometimes, right. I mean, it's, it's, you can't generalize over everyone. So yeah, sometimes, you know, if, if we're not making progress, I'll certainly refer clients away to therapy. If it feels like that's going to be a more useful methodology for them. Um, but you know, and, and, and I, I love coaching. I love therapy. I have a therapist and a coach myself. Um, but I think for me, it really just depends on the person and sort of what their particular challenges are, sort of what the edge is for them. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I think it, it's, it's, it's hard to generalize really, I guess yeah. what I'd say.
0: Mm-hmm. all right so so what kind of stuff are people supposed to ask for? I understand it's a it's a very individual thing, but there must be some generalizable groups of you know the kinds of stuff startup founders may be unwilling to ask for.
1: yeah, so you know, I, I think that um you know part of, part of what's actually i think an underappreciated piece of asking is being really particular about actually articulating what you want um, because sometimes i think people might say something like um, oh like you know so and so screwing up this project like they really need you know to do x and y right like and so and so at a certain level like what they want might be all right i want i want this person to change their behavior right But often we'll dig into that because it's like, okay, like we can't really directly control other people's behavior, right? Like that's, so, so we'll get into like, okay, well, what what are we hoping to get? Like if we control other people's behavior, right? If we, why do we want this other person to do this thing so badly? Um, And sort of often there's a deeper goal there. It's like, well, I just want, you know, I I just want to run, run this team in an efficient way. Right. And, you know, I have this sense that this other person's, you know, strategy is inefficient and mine is efficient. And it's like, Okay great. Like probably they want efficiency too. So maybe more what we want is like a, you know, understanding of what we, you know, of what, what both of us are working towards. Cause I think often there's a sense that, you know, I'm working towards the right thing and this person is working towards the wrong thing. And of course everyone has some positive intent and sort of what they're working towards. And so I think that when we go a little bit deeper about what we actually want and go for the big version of that, which might just be I want to have a great relationship with my peers and I want to have a really efficient team that gets, um, you know, amazing, inspiring things done. Right. And I think a lot of people go short of that, right? They kind of do a smaller thing of, of, of saying, oh, I, I just want so-and-so to, to do what I asked them to do. And so when we actually articulate a bigger goal, like I think can be really helpful to help us get creative about how we might actually accomplish it as opposed to being really narrow of, oh, I'm going to accomplish it in this specific way.
0: Mm-hmm. So um your book is it mostly about framing the asking or or is it also about asking yourself certain questions because this is where you touched upon right now what do you really want so it's i assume it's also about asking yourself important questions
1: um you know i i think certainly um you know the the well, let, let, let me let me put it this way, right? So when I say ask for what you want, it really is about like asking outwards in the world, right? It's about influencing other people. So that's the way I mean it when mm-hmm. I say ask for what you want. But I think you're right that, that there is the operational piece of like, what do you actually do, right? And I break that down into three steps, right? That you articulate what you want, like the way we just described of like, what is the biggest version of what I actually want in the world? You have to say it out loud. So the actual asking, like, who, who am I going to ask and what exactly am I going to ask for? And then there's the acceptance, right? Which is the part that control freaks tend to skip, which is accepting the response. Am I really getting a yes or am I getting something short of a yes? Like, a, uh, maybe, or let me see about that. Um, and really absorbing, you know, what to do with that response, because of course, asking is usually an iterative process because mostly people tell us no, um, in one way or the other. And so to me, the asking yourself part is, is looking at why do I resist doing that? Mm-hmm. Because that's a pretty simple process, right? Articulate what you want, say it out loud and accept the response. And so these asking yourself questions is about understanding, yeah, why am I resisting doing this? Why do I find this so hard or so uncomfortable? And as I'm sure, you know, like that's, that's a complicated process, like figuring that out so that finding that place where you can really be strong and do the brave
0: thing. So when um when it comes to acceptance and they get the no how what what is the learning then what are the coping strategies how do they overcome the no and ask again how does this become a part of the startup of their startup cu- culture
1: yes yeah, so so this is this is this is the part i love because i think to me a lot of the fear that people associate with asking for what they want is this idea that something horrible is going to happen if they get a no, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, that, that people are not going to like them in the people pleaser case or then the control freaks case that like, oh, like what I, you know, the right thing that I want is not going to happen. And that's a serious, you know, very bad problem. And, and so I like to really turn that on its head and say, like getting no is the normal response, right? Like if we just ask any random person in the world, like people tend not to just say, oh yes, absolutely, I'll do exactly what you want, right? Mostly we get some degree of no. And so I really like to normalize with that, that with clients so that we can start to think about no, not as a failure or as a problem, but as, yeah, that's just the default case for the world. It's hard to influence other people. Um, and so when we normalize the no and make that actually just part of the learning and the iteration, I think especially tech and startup people really get that because they're like, oh, I know about iterative development, of course, like we need to test and learn and go back and go back and go back. But they don't think about applying that to these kind of individual interpersonal interactions, because they feel higher stakes in a a strange way than the bigger Mm -hmm. things they work on.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And your book is currently in development. What else are you looking for? What is the missing piece at the moment, something that you're working on?
1: I think for me, it's all about um, kind of what framings resonate, because this is a framework I've been using with clients for years. And so we have the opportunity to return to it week by week by week and see like, which is the piece that we want to focus on, right? Maybe today we're having trouble articulating what it is, right? Maybe another day we're sort of feeling really afraid and going back to our old coping strategies. And so we're working through some of that fear. Or maybe we're accepting the response, right? We're really trying to listen well, and so there's a way in which we can zoom in on each part of the process and sort of learn that. Um, and so for the book, I'm trying to really bring it all into focus. And I think the challenge for me is, um, you know, figuring out how to how to help that land for people, not just in a not just in an intellectual way, but in an emotional way. Because my my complaint about business books in general is that they're boring, right? They have no emotional stakes. It's like, oh, okay. You know, here's the process you use to get stuff done. Who cares?
0: Yeah. Right. That's why it's it's hard to read them.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No
0: relatability. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. So, where does Kenneth, not the author, but the coach, want to want to take it next? Well, what is your what is your goal? What is your yeah? Tell us a bit about you. I I skipped this part, but now I want to know. Now that we know about the book, <laughs> tell us about you. <laughs>
1: um. Well, gosh, where where to start, you know, I think that, um, you know, I maybe it's useful to to talk about how I got into coaching, right? Because yeah. I think that, you know, some coaches, you know, they get into coaching because they say, oh, you know, I'm a CEO who exited multiple times and I have all the answers, right? So if you want an advisor to tell you, you know, exactly how to run your company, I'm the one who's been there, done that. Um And I'm not that kind of coach, right? I had a pretty successful tech career. I worked at some great companies, you know, did some things I'm really proud of. But the things that inspired me to be a coach were all my failures, right? Not my successes. Um, It was, you know, relationships breaking down, right? When, you know, I, I, you know, broke up with my co-founder at the startup that I founded. When I got fired from Slack, this iconic company by the CEO, you know, and this product that I love, this team that I love. And so coming out of those experiences was really a great... Um, you know, sort of moment for me to reflect on not blaming everyone else, but really looking at myself and saying, how did I create these situations that, you know, that I'm not really enjoying that I didn't want. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I thought about what impact I wanted to make in the next part of my career, I said, okay, you know, I'm a pretty good operator, you know, sort of tech product manager guy, but there's a lot of people who are good at that. There are a lot of people who want those jobs. And I felt that there were not as many people who were taking care of these sort of internal emotional lives of these people who are doing really hard, challenging work. And I, I love the startup world and I love sort of supporting this community in a way where, yes, we can talk about what's the latest, greatest technology and we can talk about their internal lives, right? Because I think that's the part that really tugs at my heartstrings is knowing. I don't know if a startup that, you know, an individual client is going to work on is going to succeed or fail, right? Most of them fail, right? That's, that's how the numbers go. But I know that the work that each of my clients do on themselves to grow and to sort of, um, you know, be more, more capable in their lives, that's going to last for, for any number of jobs beyond there. And that, that means a lot to me. I, I love that
0: mm-hmm. uh, at the time of your failures. If you had known what you know now, and especially this framework for asking, do you think that things would have looked differently for you? Uh,
1: of course. Yes. You know, uh, you know, with, with the the benefit of hindsight, so much would be would be different. Um, Yeah. I mean, where to start? How long do we have? Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a few few lessons that stand out to me from those times are um letting go of being right right i think i'm a little bit more on the control freak side and so i think i had i had sort of the the strength of the confidence that i was right and things should be my way right which i think can be a real strength right in a lot of leadership roles of of thinking yeah like i've got this like this is the way we should do it and it can be a real weakness interpersonally right because if you enter into a conversation saying i'm right and you're wrong i mean that's a fundamentally disrespectful way of communicating with another person mm-hmm. so these days, I come into a conversation, even with something like this, right? Of like, you know, this book that I'm passionate about, you know, if you came in and said, Kenneth, I think this is wrong. I don't think this is how you ask for what you want. You should do it a totally different way, right? Like, I wouldn't be coming in arguing with you. I'd say, wow, like, thank you for sharing that with me, right? I'm interested in this. And like, I want to hear what you have to say, even if I end up disagreeing with it, right? And, you know, it, it's, you know, practicing that for for many years now has really, it's made a huge difference in my relationships, right? You know, because you get to sort of reach across the aisle and talk to people who disagree with you in a respectful way and still build a strong relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, when it comes to founders, let's say, of, of startups, and especially tech startups, they're so pumped up about their success. I mean, they're what you just described you were when you were um, yourself engaged um, as a star- as a a founder and a co-founder, do you find that it's difficult to convince them that they might need to change their ways or um, do, do you sometimes find, I mean, I, I'm not trying to um, give you suggestions here, but I'm just thinking out loud because the, the people that I generally see uh, going in this realm, they're very uh, determined and don't really want to go so much into self reflection because it's about meekness. It's not about being strong, getting ahead, determined, but it, it, it like they perceive self reflection as a sign of being weak. Have you noticed something like that or not?
1: Um, definitely with some people, you know, so you, you'd be surprised. I mean, some people are, are very ready to sort of go into a more emotional conversation and it's almost like they've been waiting for it because they know they haven't been getting it at work. But you're right that other people are very resistant to that. And they say, you know, that, um, you know, I don't want to show any sign of, of weakness or vulnerability. And so with those folks, like I don't try to convince them. Right. Uh, you know, cause it's, you know, that that's part of my philosophy is, is I'm, I think of myself as an empirical coach, right? That it's not that you come in and you have to read my book and believe in everything that I believe in. We say, no, we're going to empirically prove what's going to work for you. And so if I say, okay, right, like you want to be Mr. Tough guy. Let's go try that and see how that works like in your next couple of challenging meetings. And then we actually get to come back and look at it with a little bit more of a um, clear eye and say, okay, how did that work? And usually they say, yeah, it didn't work that well, right? It, it's It didn't give me the results that I wanted. And so rather than trying to convince them that, oh, I have the perfect right way, I say, well, let's try something, right? Because we know that this isn't working. So let's just try something different. We don't have to try it forever. We'll just try it for tomorrow or for next week. Mm-hmm. And so that way, I don't have to prove anything to them they get to prove it to themselves right to say oh yeah i tried being a little bit more vulnerable with this person and you know it actually totally changed things and we were able to have a different type of conversation i say okay there's a data point right like let's let's figure out what to try next
0: yeah and and well when you do these trial and errors how how long does it normally take for somebody to turn their approach around
1: i think it really depends on on the person i think that um I usually meet with clients, you know, every week or every other week. And so that's kind of the speed of our, our iteration. Right. And so I think for some people, they'll try a new strategy. It'll immediately work and they're sort of sold and we're on a path towards towards change. And for other people, they're really resistant. And I totally respect that because I am very resistant too. Um, And so it might take them weeks and weeks and weeks to get to the change they want to make, because maybe it's really hard change. Right. It depends on. On, uh, on the client. You know, I definitely have worked with founders where they end up realizing, yeah, I don't like the culture of my company and I'm going to end up like letting go half of my team, right? Or really changing the culture and saying, if you don't like this, you're welcome to quit. And so those types of revolutionary changes, they are scary. Um, and so it does take more time to work up to those. And I really... You know, I, I go at the client's pace, right? Because it's not for me to say what pace they're supposed to go at. I say, yeah, I want to help you move towards your goals and it's up to you when and if you do.
0: Mm. I really enjoyed this conversation, Ken. Um, anything else that I've missed asking you?
1: Um, no, I don't think so. Um, But Will um,
0: people reach you if they want to, uh, you know give input for your book or get a consultation with you?
1: Yeah, please check out kberger.com. So it's K-B-E-R-G-E-R. You can hear all about me and my coaching practice and uh, some links to some of my writing. And yeah, if you're interested in chatting, please reach out through there.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for all the tips and insights that you shared.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to Grow & Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow & Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.